0: Hey everyone, I'm EVA, and this is our 10th episode within this series. I'll be hosting the last few sessions here for the AP U.S. History course overview, so welcome. These podcasts are here as a resource to get you guys prepared for your AP U.S. History exams in May. Here, I'm going to provide you with a detailed outline of everything you need to know for each period within the curriculum. You can listen to this in the shower, eating lunch, or in the car. Just find the time and let's get started. This episode is still within Period 7, but specifically the World Wars. We're going to cover World War I and World War II. Timeline-wise, World War I is going to span from 1914 to 1918, and World War II spans from 1939 to 1945. Starting off, we still have remnants to recover from the Civil War. So at the start of World War I, America tries to stay uninvolved. The main causes of the war can be broken down to materialism, alliances, imperialism, and nationalism, which, if you take the first letter from each of those words, M-A-I-N, it creates the acronym MAIN, so it's easy for you to remember. The war really kicks off after Archduke Franz Ferdinand is assassinated, and we now have our separate powers. The Allied powers consisting of France, England, and Russia, and the Central Powers consisting of Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Italy. Now remember... The war is three years in, and right now, the U.S. is holding true to George Washington's farewell address and the Monroe Doctrine, where they are trying to stay neutral and stay out of the international affairs, which at this point is all World War I is. Well, all of that changes when Germany's unrestricted submarine warfare ends up sinking the Lusitania, a British ship with American passengers. Other reasons include President Woodrow Wilson urging America to defend their view on humanitarian principles of international affairs. The Zimmerman note, a British intercepted message from Germany are all factors into the U.S. joining the Allied powers. In the beginning, the U.S. kept a pretty low profile within the war, but with them being a helping hand, they helped the Allied powers get the upper hand. This leads to Germany exiting their role in the war in the year of 1918. While all of this fighting occurs similar to the Civil War, there is still much activity on the domestic front. Women continue to work and are heading making products for the war. The Great Migration also took place, where a mass movement of African Americans moved from the north and east to escape racial injustice and seek opportunities. The end of World War I comes with Wilson's 14 points, basically saying that the world should move towards peace and avoid any future wars. Wilson also helps create the League of Nations in order to keep the peace. We are going to see in a second how ineffective it was. Okay, so that's everything for World War I, and you will see how results of that war ultimately lead to World War II. Starting with the Neutrality Acts of 1935 to 1937, there were a series of acts saying the U.S. could not trade with basically opposing nations or countries like Germany. Now, Germany left the war in 1918, and it's seen afterwards their country is at an all-time low. This is a perfect opportunity for fascist Adolf Hitler to disguise himself as Germany's savior and conjoin with Italy and Japan to form the Axis powers. Our Allied powers are now going to be the U.S., Britain, France, and the USSR, with some help from China. Very similar groupings from World War I. While World War II begins in 1939, it takes the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor, resulting in 2,500 killed and damaged battleships for the US to join the Allied Powers in 1941. Instead of referring to the actual fighting regions as fronts, history likes to refer to them as the European and Pacific theaters, marking where fighting is actually occurring. Some notable battles you'll need to know in the European theater is D-Day. Where the Allies storm Normandy, France, in an attempt to take control of Europe from the Central Powers. Following this is the fall of Berlin, which is a success for the Allied powers to control Berlin, aka the capital of Germany. This win, the war going on in the European theater is over, and the Allies have won. Over in the Pacific theater, the war continues. The Battle of Midway marks a turning point for the Allies, where they fend off the Central Powers' attack. Island hopping is another strategy taking place in the Pacific theater, as Allies hop from island to island, taking control, ultimately coming closer to the Japanese mainland. Aside from the war in the theaters, let's take a look at the domestic life during the Second World War. Women took on jobs in factories while men fought. People such as Rosie the Riveter promoted women to be strongholds and really move away from that cult of domesticity african Americans also put in work by serving the military, as seen by the Tuskegee Airmen, and taking on factory work as well. In a more general sense, the entire country practiced things such as rationing to ensure enough resources for soldiers, factories dedicating their work to producing for the war, such as tanks and uniforms. With all of this in play, the last blow to the war are the two atomic bombs, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, dropping on two different days in Japan by the U.S. Afterwards, the end of World War II is going to mark the end of the Great Depression and strengthens the federal government's power. We also see the creation of the United Nations doing what the League of Nations planned to but couldn't, promoting world peace and implementing talking between dominating world powers to prevent any more world wars. This is going to conclude our 10th review session covering World War I and World War II, still a part of Period 7. I hope you guys learned something new or able to refresh your memory. Stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to move into period eight. Thank you and good luck on your AP U.S. history exam.